If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, Future Todd here, breaking in before the episode starts to give you a heads up at the beginning of this episode that Paige was in San Francisco for Erin, her sister's amazing wedding. I'm so sorry that Mikey and I couldn't be there, but because Paige was out of pocket in a different city, she didn't have her regular microphone and the microphone she was using didn't have a pop filter on it. And if you're wondering what a pop filter does, you'll hear it throughout the entire episode because you'll hear a little bit of what sounds a little bit like static or maybe wind blowing over a microphone while she's talking. Sorry about that. I did as much as I could to minimize how loud it was, but you'll still be able to hear it. So I do apologize about that. But it's a great episode. I'm excited to share it with you guys. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Down With Love. And also, this song by the woman who got married this past weekend. Aaron, Paige's sister. You're amazing. I don't need no water down Something high class. high class. Like spending my nights at home romancing the podcast. Take a deeper dive into these movies that are trash. trash. Me once in a bookstore and then we'll smash. Roll call. Todd. Paige. The, the other guy. Oh, yeah. Mikey. Mikey. Thank you for tuning into Romancing the Pod. You had us at hello. I'm Paige Wesley. I'm Mikey Randolph. And I'm Todd Schlosser. And this week, I made you guys watch Down, Down With Love. Love. So, Todd, give us your introduction and why you picked it and what you thought. Yeah, happy to do that. Not sensing any animosity in your voice just now. Um, So, I first <laughs> saw this movie with my brother. We went to go see it in the theater. And I think we were the only people in the theater that enjoyed it that day. We were certainly one of the few that stayed till the end. Um, and I watched it again today and I still fucking loved it. I haven't seen it since I saw it in the theater. Still love it. Eat a dick. Well, we're going to have such a fun time today. <laughs> you know, I think we will. I was actually really excited watching this because I was like, there is no way Mikey isn't going to hate this movie. And Paige, I could see it being a toss up for you. But if it was a musical, I bet you'd like it more. Mikey would like it less. But it's still so campy and just like this is very much out of the like double entendre theater playbook which i'm here for i'm glad you made those comparisons i'll go next page i don't want to interrupt you but i have to get this out of the way never has a movie before felt so shitty without <laughs> songs it feels like a musical without songs. it absolutely does yes in fact there is a song in it in the credits yeah and it was terrible it was a terrible it was, credit song it was terrible yeah and you told me the best part of most musicals is the songs and this is all the shitty stuff without the songs 
it's somehow shittier than a musical mikey i completely agree with everything you're saying this is worse than an actual musical because it feels like a musical but there's no singing and i would agree that singing would make this better i felt no chemistry between any characters in the whole film it was like strangers talking to each other (laughs) reading the lines over their other shoulder agreed and i hated it in a way god that i haven't hated a film in a while mikey i really wish we could have watched this together together i i just like it took me two times i got through <laughs> half of it and i said you know what i want to end my day on a higher note than this so i <laughs> i watched a different movie last night <laughs> oh. Paige, how did you feel about down with love mikey it took me three hours to watch this film <laughs> because i hated it so much that I had to stop it twice to watch other things <laughs> you're gonna watch a three-hour film page i suggest you watch the masterpiece Gettysburg. It's Gettysburg. What you said, Gettysburg? Gettysburg, man. Like rhymes with titties. Like Tittiesburg would be the porn parody of G- Gettysburg. Look, I've been to Tittiesburg. You don't want to disrespect them. <laughs> Tittiesburg is my favorite location. Now I'm just picturing a, a Hooters style restaurant, <laughs> <laughs> but it's in the Deep South. <laughs> yeah, reenactors in the Deep South, and you, <laughs> some busty Confederate soldier will be taking your order, and then get shot with a pellet and like death to lincoln <laughs> hi welcome to Tittiesburg. would you like to buy our seven scores of nachos oh my god all of the food is like confederate themed oh man okay so here's my thing with this movie i and i say this as someone with a rock hard raging boner for everything 1960s and i hated this movie with a passion that is hard to parallel i don't okay i think that's fair though because i like all 1960s things and this aesthetically looks very 60s it doesn't feel very 60s to me sure um i i think one of my frustrations with it um number one it's definitely supposed to be parodying kind of the like Doris Day Rock Hudson movies of the time. Yes. But it's doing it badly and like not intentionally badly until the third act, in which point I think they kind of finally figured out what they should have been doing with this movie. And then it just makes no sense, which is like, (laughs) but that was the only way it got palatable at the end was that I was like, oh, this is fucking madness. And at least I can be here for the madness. But like my frustration is the whole first hour and 20 minutes of this movie is almost like a commercial for the 60s but made by like your grandparents trying to remember what the 60s was like and not (laughs) quite getting it right where they'd be like we had socks that went all the way up to our knees and you're like isn't it time to take your pills like that kind of feel Uh uh there is absolutely not a shred of chemistry between any single character because every character is a two-dimensional stereotype which you have to have someone be the straight man somewhere and i i say that in the comedy sense not the like sexuality you know, orientation oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah i mean and david high pierce is supposed to be that in this movie but he is and fully he is not. not there is 
is no quote unquote straight man in this movie. Which is part of the problem because then the movie doesn't seem to know what its point is for most of the movie. And you're just, you're like, who am I rooting for? But then on top of that, who is this movie for? And I'm like sitting there thinking, I'm like, I feel like <laughs> this has to be such a, a very specific cross section of person to like this movie because you have to have like you have to not like the old rom-coms of the 60s because this is not that like it is like they're trying to parody it but it is not that it is definitely not those movies has the aesthetic but then it's the the innuendo means that old people aren't gonna like it so like who the fuck is this for? I don't understand. It's for millennials that like really like musicals and campy shit. And there's probably eight of us and all of us enjoyed this movie. Have you guys ever seen the show <laughs> Thunderbirds? It's a, it's a 60s spy show that is just made out of puppets. No. <laughs> was it made in the 60s? I have to see this immediately. It was made in the 60s. Holy and this movie shit. reminds, I thought this movie takes place in the universe because all the characters are so wooden like the puppets in oh. that show. <laughs> here's, here's my other thing. This is not a musical, right? No, not technically. But it is scored 99% of the time and it's mixed so loud that that score is intrusive. Like the score oh, was giving me a headache. I couldn't concentrate on what people were saying because the score was so intrusive. And all I have to say is if you are like me and you have a 60s boner. I understand why you might want to watch this movie. And I'm going to say, fucking don't. Just go back and watch, <laughs> like, rewatch Mad Men instead. You'll feel better. Yeah. And that's a weird thing to say because Mad Men's depressing as hell sometimes. But at least you'll feel like women were represented as real people. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing about this movie is everyone is sort of terrible. Like at the very end yes. of this movie, actually not even the very end, but like the scene where Renee Zellweger has the, I don't know, five minute monologue about how oh, she Lord. meticulously planned this whole movie. I just started laughing so hard because my it was notes are in so all caps. Funny. What is wrong with you? I fully agree with everything you guys are saying. It is just so bonkers it is so much fun to watch no it's not <laughs> guys wait until i tell you how much they spent on this movie like i cannot wait to talk about this it's so fun i don't want to know i know and it's a offensively bad i mean like also as a feminist this movie bothers me in such specific way <laughs> oh you don't feel like it has strong female representation Paige? I feel like this movie was written by people who were like, we don't really want them to have rights, right? Like, it's a joke, right? It was written by a man and a woman. And when I saw that, I was like, huh. I guess was the she woman chained in the get... basement while he transcribed it? Say, I guess she didn't really get a lot of say in what made the final edit. Like, <laughs> I have to imagine that, that he's like, yeah, she wrote it with me. And then she's in the background tied up and duct taped like, no, I didn't. I didn't do it. I think you mean a man wrote this with a small child. Who was like, have them fly <laughs> off on a helicopter at the end. And he's like, I'm going to credit this as a woman's idea. Because my daughter told me they should fly off on a credit helicopter. Well, so like, here's the thing. Because like when she's laying out like what's in. Because at first I was like, okay, maybe this won't be so bad. Because she like goes into the. Um, the boardroom. Yeah, the boardroom with all, all of the other editors. And 
I had flashbacks of like Peggy doing it in Mad Men and Peggy's story to me is so fascinating and difficult but like like you you root for her so hard at the end of Mad Men I mean in Mad Men she is like literally breaking new ground for women in that movie or show are you saying that down with love does not break new ground with women (laughs) it's certainly not positioned that way in this scene like I mean I mean I know what you're saying Mikey but no this movie does not try and do that no I was being sarcastic (laughs) (laughs) well and she goes to present it and then she's like here's what people like women are you know sexually free and i was like okay and then in my mind i'm like well masters and johnson their book comes out like four years after this is set so like okay okay and then she's like number two avoid sex by eating chocolate and i was like fuck this bitch like fuck (laughs) this reductive nonsense (laughs) that you're gonna be like women's sexual urges are chocolate based like i first of all i don't even like chocolate as a woman i'm not a chocolate person but secondly, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's no orgasm. It's just chocolate. I hate you. I hate you so much. <laughs> I was not having fun. I also hated that, like, she was the stereotype yeah. for most of the movie. Like, I, it's difficult to root for her when she is presented as exactly the thing that she said, that he says she is. It's difficult to root for anyone in this movie when I want to watch them all die in a fire. <laughs> <laughs> wow okay i mean i agree with everything you're saying i just love the bonkersness of this movie no i'm glad that this is your what if moment and i'm here for it oh you mean like what if the movie (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's that is fair i will take that yeah because there's no actual conversations between anyone in this movie it's just a small lecture about a thing that existed in the 60s. Wait, I have a very mean joke that I want you to cut out, but I just want to make it for you, Todd. I'll definitely cut it out. Wanger, wanger. Do you love this film because the main female love interest has a job and makes a lot of money? I mean, I do like seeing that on screen. I also <laughs> love that it really is just a woman realizing she'd be better off if she had red hair. And I agree. Oh, man. <laughs> at the same moment, she's like, I'm not going to write anymore. I think I'm just going to be a stay-at-home kept woman. I'm out now. I'm out. I don't want that. <laughs> I'm like, I can see why you like movies about rich women who work hard. Oh, look at that woman with ambition. <laughs> I'm just picturing you like masturbate to somebody who's just like, I built this house. <laughs> My pornography is successful women doing TED Talks. I just watch it and jerk off. <laughs> <laughs> we brought home $26 million net. Fuck yeah, Brene Brown. Let's do this. (laughs) Why do you think Todd's on Twitter so much? That's like this. He's like, I just want to see women succeed. Go, Kamala, go. Kamala. Oh, God. Yeah, there's not much actual conversation in this movie. It is purely one character lecturing another character about a new invention in the 60s for like two hours. Also, this movie is almost two hours long and you could easily cut a half hour or more out of it Paige, this could have been an snl sketch in six minutes like there's no reason it should have been a whole fucking movie oh but my I'm god i'm so glad it is fun fact <laughs> i was so upset by this movie that at one point i paused it and went and watched mad men snl sketches <laughs> yeah i mean honest and they probably felt similar no they're better because <laughs> they have more nuance to them yeah it's not just it's the 60s and it's mad men it was subversive in a way that's like like 
we understand the dynamics of how these relationships work in the 60s. Oh, absolutely. You're like, oh, yeah, Haldeman was the mailbox. Right. But we're also <laughs> going to make fun of that. Hey, you're the only person that would have gotten that joke. And I'm so glad <laughs> that only you and I are laughing at it. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to stop playing RimWorld to force yourself to watch <laughs> this film? Well, do you know how hard it is once you start watching John Hamm on SNL and then you're just like, fuck, I got to go back and watch that shit? I'd rather just watch one of the Connery James Bond films if I wanted to yes. watch something so... Or Danger 5. Uh-huh. I mean, again, all of your criticisms of this movie are absolutely correct and valid. <laughs> valid. I love it for those reasons, though, because it is like you truly watch this movie and you're like, holy shit, Literally, how did this get made? Like, yes, it's amazing how did this get made? that. I, can I go ahead and just tell you how much it was made for? Paige, you already know, so it's really just Mikey. Like, this movie was $35 million to make. Oh, my God. Yeah. And well, and this is in 2003. So if you adjust that for inflation, Mikey, that would be $56.3 million okay. they spent on this movie. And keep in mind that every set in this movie is like a shitty 60s set. They look like they're on the set of How to Succeed in Business Without Really Ever Trying, which is right. another movie I love. But the original? Yes. Yeah, like the old yes, one. Yes, the original. Okay. And honestly, the original guy who was the star in How to Succeed in Business was in Mad Men later in life. But yes, he's he so good. Th this movie to me feels like I have a very high fever and I'm dying, but I fell asleep watching really old episodes of The Price is Right. <laughs> this is what happened. <laughs> I mean, honestly, in, in all of the sets, if you panned over and Bob Barker was there with that skinny microphone calling people down, I'd be like, this makes sense. Yeah, mm -hmm. the price is wrong, bitch. <laughs> uh, I, I pulled this up last night. Uh, I would like to read to you from Rolling Stone's review of this film Hell yes, at the time please, of this release. Please. Down with Love is all surface and its mocking tone grows grating. More damagingly, Zellweger has no zing with McGregor, who seems uncomfortable in a stud role that, say, Hugh Jackman could have nailed. What starts as freshly spun cotton candy ends up as something pink, sticky, and indigestible. You leave the theater wanting to puke it up. <laughs> Honestly, Rolling Stone got it right. Yeah, they did. And there were, I did find reviews of people who were like, I love this. This is a perfect parody of Pillow Talk movies. And I'm like, no, because the Pillow Talk like era of movies, they're being earnest. Like, it is not a joke. They just exist in a world where that was the norm in movies. And in this movie, they're just like, okay, what if we took a plot that makes as little sense as that? <laughs> we wore cool clothes. And then we talked about things that happened at this time frame. But then also just strung together as many sexual innuendo jokes as we could and called it a movie. And I love an innuendo. And I hated this movie. Dude, and every line is an innuendo in this movie. It, I, get, it got exhausting. Oh, I loved it. I thought it was so dumb. I loved it so much. It was so fucking stupid. I just don't, I don't understand. I, I have a personal vendetta against Renee Zellweger because she cosplays as fat whenever it's good for her career. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> we were already off to a bad foot. Is this pre that? 
no this is after that she's she's in two of those movies by the time this one comes out and then she just did it again recently what movies are you talking about bridget jones okay bridget jones oh i've never seen bridget jones okay see here's the thing i understand doing it once especially in the 90s where no one hired fat people for anything but if you do it once and people are like hey that's kind of fucked up and then you do it again and people are like no really that's kind of fucked up and then you wait 20 years until it's way less acceptable and you're like i'm gonna do it again fuck and, and become a producer on something that then you like cast yourself in it instead of just like casting an actor of size uh yeah we start to resent you for it <laughs> i didn't even realize that bridget jones was supposed to be fat in those movies well in the book she is supposed to be plus size so is my boy um from the hunger games what was his name Peta. Peta. yeah Peta's supposed to be thick yeah that's yeah. true bridget jones she's listed as specifically being like a 14 uh, which is small on, on, in the plus size spectrum to be honest with you it's like yeah. barely but she did those movies uh at like a 10 with baggy clothes if you're gonna do that if you're gonna have a body transformation to become bridget jones there's only really one actor who is acceptable to do a body transformation is it dana carvey the master of disguise no it's christian bale oh, christian okay. bale as bridget jones i mean christian bale has been all sizes <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I just have like the poster of the machinist in my head right now and like that dude <laughs> Think was of the opposite oof. yeah that sort of intensity in a bridget jones film that's what i want yeah and here's the thing i I know that for some actors it is a challenge to modify your body to meet a role and that occasionally you that is the best choice but I think that a lot of time actors or actresses will use it as a way to almost put on a fat suit of sh of sorts and be like, look at me, how brave of me to be ugly for this. And I hate it, especially when you have someone who has lived experience that could inform a role like that, that isn't going to just put it on for the role and then step out in their million dollar dress or whatever, suddenly devoid of all the, you know, weight and makeup and everything. Like Gwyneth Paltrow and fucking fat. Uh, Shallow Hal? That's the name. Shallow Hal. Yeah. That's the name of the movie. Yeah. I was going to say Fat Sal's. And I was like, that's a sandwich place, place page. And that sounds <laughs> delicious. I just watched it the trailer is. for Bridget Jones Diary on mute while we were talking. Uh -huh, and she uh -huh. looks exactly the same as she does in this movie. Like yeah, she's she not an ounce bigger in this movie than when she's supposed to be quote unquote fat in Bridget Jones Diary. That's terrible. Yup. And she made two of those. And then she's on a TV show right now playing a, an overweight character again. All right. Well, now that I'm depressed, do you guys want to talk about this bonkers ass movie scene by scene? Good, because we want you to feel how we felt when we watched it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into it because I loved it. OK, so the credits open on a song sung by I believe what they did is took Judy Garland's original recording and then had Michael Buble jump in as a duet yeah and he should apologize for that because this is one of the worst songs i've ever heard and he should know better <laughs> it's not a great song but it's the title of the movie and judy garland already sang it on ed sullivan so like it sort yeah. of worked because they use that footage in here right they do but here's the thing this is 1962 Judy Garland on the Ed Sullivan show where she's pilled out of her mind yeah. and has tremors while singing it. And it is not her best song, like not remotely. There was no need for that to be the title song of the movie and a fixture of the plot. Hundreds of people were on the Ed Sullivan show. You had your pick and they still <laughs> went with that. 
It's, it's a bad choice. I mean, there were a lot of bad choices that made up this bonkers movie, but I'm so glad they made them. So many. So it was that song that I was like sitting and listening and I was like, I know this is legitimately a song from the era, but you're now like hearing the lyrics to it because there's it's just a cartoon for the credits. So you you have to. Yeah, there's nothing else. There's nothing else. And the more lyrics I heard, the more I was like, oh, no, songs from this time. <laughs> don't make a ton of sense now but also not great just there's always weird dark implications to the lyrics of songs from this period sometimes and i say that as someone who loves music from this era yes yeah, but i was just like what <laughs> like oh no so we open on New York with an upsetting voiceover that will only exist in this scene and never come back. Like, it was abandoned immediately after this scene is done. Uh, and it's basically just like, it's New York. It's 1962. And at this point, already, I had just typed into my notes, I wish I was just watching Mad Men instead. <laughs> but he's like, there's 8 million people in New York Wait, make that eight million and one. Because yeah. enter Renee Zellweger trying to have a Mary Tyler Moore moment. Uh, and she literally like does <sighs> the spin on the sidewalk and everything. I mean, it looks exactly like, like Mary Tyler Moore. Like, yeah. Yeah. We're gonna make it after all. Like, all she needed to do was throw the hat. Is that from a show or something? It was called oh The God. Mary Tyler Moore Show. Yes. I, I know it exists. I never watched it. I didn't watch it either, but I know it existed. Yeah, so it, but Mary the Mary Tyler Moore Show specifically, and that's why they're referencing it here in this movie, is about a career woman who can kind of is trying to have it all, which at the time was revolutionary for TV. Like, that was not a thing that people put on TV at the time. People didn't really like the idea of a career woman as the focus of your show. Uh, people boycotted networks over the Mary Tyler Moore show. Like, it was a, a really big deal uh, that that was something that people allowed on TV at the time. But specifically in this scene, uh, they're referencing the beginning of the show. And it, it opened every show with this, like, really fun song. Yeah. Uh, and she would We're going like, to make it. Yeah. Yeah. Give us any chance. We'll oh, wait, take is it. That Laver wait, is that oh, Laverne wait, that is, Shirley? I'm, I'm doing that the Wayne's World. Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing, I got that from Wayne's World, too. <laughs> Holy shit, that's so funny. No. Uh, but yeah, we're going to make it after all was the end of the like theme song. And as she hit that after all, she like throws her hat on the sidewalk and it like pauses. Yeah. But it looks very much like this scene. Yeah. For sure. Uh, so uh, we watch as a taxi pulls over and what I can only describe as a clown car of protesters gets out of that taxi. Because there's only one taxi, but legit 25 people get out. Yep. Uh-huh. It's probably more like 12, but it's way too many for the taxi. Yeah. And they're protesting the use of the atomic bomb, yep. which is a little... A little late. Not quite timely. It's a little late. This should have probably been Vietnam protests, but whatever. In 62? <laughs> yeah. Or, or Korean War, maybe. But like... So it's kind of weird. And then the taxi backfires and they all duck and cover. I think the implication being that they're protesters but afraid of guns, maybe? Oh, that's definitely what it is. Yeah, they're in America. Like, yeah, yeah. well, hey, yeah, for sure. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. Those protesters had the right idea. But it seemed like the movie was trying to be like, look at these pussies. And I was like, who is this movie for? <laughs> like, what is this? <laughs> what is happening? 
Well, if that's just the first time you answer that, you're going to have many more times to ask that question. Yeah. First of many. Honestly, you shouldn't even worry about asking that question because the movie is for Todd specifically. Yeah, Todd and that's basically it. only. Yeah. yeah. So she gets inside the building and this begins one of hundreds of times that they do weird shit like this in this movie where they concentrate a, an inordinate amount of time on a visual gag that is not funny. <laughs> and in this, it's like she's waiting for an elevator and there's no one there, but then a ton of people show up and she doesn't even make the elevator. Then she's trying to get in the elevator on the other side and it's just a cloud of smoke when it comes down because it's Sarah Paulson, her editor, yeah. in the weirdest prequel to american horror story ever i love sarah paulson never seen american horror story but she was in a bunch of show, tv shows that i loved like a little bit after this i think this is probably the first time i saw her in anything but i didn't actually like clue into her as an actress until studio 60 which i loved her in studio 60 and she's done a ton of stuff since this era but a lot of it's American Horror Story, so I haven't really watched any of that. But she's great. I think she was also in the Serenity movie, which was the Firefly TV show movie. Um, but yeah, she's great. I love her. She was most recently in uh, American Crime Story. Uh, yes, yeah. Which, which she did kind of Renee Zellweger a bit for that role, but also she was great. Well, yeah, because she played Linda Tripp in the impeachment scandal of Bill Clinton is the season we're talking about. It's so good, too. And I listened to I had listened to a number of interviews with Linda Tripp. And the one thing that made me feel slightly better about her kind of like cosplaying as fat for for that was that she nailed the voice and the mannerisms. And yeah, I was she's like, really good. OK, I was like, this is kind of justifiable because she fucking nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they balanced it out for me by casting Beanie Feldstein, who I actually did really like as Monica so anyway so she gets off the elevator and is like Barbara Novak I'm your editor we're gonna be gal pals like perfect we're gonna set up a photo shoot we're gonna do all this stuff the book comes out in a week it's gonna be great yeah uh, so they go up to the office and this is pre Mad Men yeah Mad Men came out 2007 this is 2003 right and they try to do a handful of things in this initial shot of the office that they don't do great, that Mad Men did awesome. And so having having seen Mad Men first, I'm like, this is, no. Mm -mm. I mean, you can't compare this to Mad Men. Like, I have to, because I, <laughs> I, I don't have a world where I saw this movie without Mad Men in my brain. So that's just kind of how it is for I me. I mean, that's fair, but I feel like if the, the creators of Mad Men, if they watched this movie, and I'm not saying they stole anything from this movie because they did not, but they could have been like, you know, someone should really make like a show about the 60s that's not trash. Like a good version about yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. Because Mad Men is so good. It's really good. Like, And it's an earnest, I feel, depiction yes. of that time period. This is not any of those no. things. Yeah. It just looks like the 60s. Like the aesthetic is 60s. Everything else is like double entendre nonsense. Yeah. Well, but this scene was one of many that stuck out to me where... Clearly, the people making this knew about the problems and things of the 60s at the time. Yeah. Especially in, in a venue like this, like this office advertising world. But then even knowing that those problems existed, don't choose to analyze them any deeper than one joke. And none of that is clearer than the art department guy that they meet right out of the elevator. Yeah. 
who is full art department. This is going to be the cover. This is the thing we're looking at. Here's you. And he makes kind of what seems like a double entendre joke to Renee Zellweger. And she reacts kind of like, oh, he's flirting with me. And then he makes it very clear that he is not flirting with her or anyone of her gender persuasion. Yeah. And then just like struts off. And there's this kind of like faux like gasp. And I like I instantly was just like Mad Men spent a whole season on one character in the art department who was closeted and how it ruined his life. <laughs> like, yeah. like, what are we doing here that we like know that th- th- this is a thing existing and we're just going to give it one wink and a nod and nothing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that is not this movie. Like th- this movie is not set up to like make a statement about anything. And if it is not even trying love, to, which I know. Is yeah. Weird. No, no. I mean, I've, <laughs> Yeah, it's not good, but I love it. It's not good. We get uh, our one of four scenes, including Rachel Dratch, which is kind of a bummer because, like, Rachel's funny as shit and deserves better than this movie. I feel like Rachel Dratch always pops up in these, like, fun little weird, like, roles, but she never gets the screen time she's worthy of because she is so fucking funny and so good at everything she does but it's always like the blue man in this dr spachiman episode of 30 rock like she's that character she's never like one of the main characters even though i think she could nail that well and she was many many characters on 30 rock one of yeah. my favorite was uh yadwiga the janitor <laughs> oh yeah i love her as the cat wrangler the cat wrangler uh in the live episodes it was yadwiga's birthday and yadwiga <laughs> loved fonzie yeah and that's the only thing you ever learn about yadwiga uh, but yes, no, Rachel Dratch and the, they, they gave her nothing funny to say in this entire movie. I'm like, and this was at the height of her SNL career Yeah, is when this is happening. I'm like, you have one of the funniest people in America at the time in your movie and you just hand her a clipboard and she stands there. You hand her a clipboard and a chocolate bar and nothing else. And nothing else. And don't let her like make jokes about it. No. And like one good thing they give her because she's phenomenal at physical comedy, especially with her face. Yeah. Uh, when she's eating that chocolate bar, uh, she clearly smeared some <laughs> of it and her yep. facial expression makes it. But it all we get is that one like tiny cutaway. And it's like. You could have done so much with her. Yeah. You know, like so much. And there's even like a makeover that takes place off screen. Yeah, we never, we don't see it. We but never she see walks it. in at the very end, the last scene she's in, she's like all made up 60s style. Yeah. No, no. That director was like, get that quality out of here. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, I need a crew meeting immediately. Uh, we need to cut out Rachel Dratt. She's making this movie too good. Yeah. People are going to like her more than Renee Zellweger. It's going to be a problem. They had to Mercutio her for sure. They were like, we got to like get her out of here. Yeah. Just like Harold Perrineau. So they make their way through the office and they're about to send her into the boardroom. So even more, I'm just like, this is upside down world madman. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, this is literally all scenes that we would get. She gets into the boardroom. It's all men. And <laughs> I do love they all have names that are initials. Well, and they only refer to each other as initials. As right? initials. Yeah. <laughs> yes. TB's over there. CB's downstairs. OK's in the bathroom. Yeah. Well, well, because they're explaining who they are or whatever. And that mm-hmm. someone isn't here because they're down with TB. And she's like, OK. Right. And they're like, no, OK is whatever. And then Renee Zellweger's character is like, well, I hope he feels better or whatever. And they respond with, no, TB is the owner of the publisher 
publishing company or whatever. Right. <laughs> That's actually Tony Randall, who was like, he was in yeah. movies during like the Pillow Talk era. Like he's been around mm-hmm. since like probably the 50s. I don't know. But he's been around forever. My favorite was the gestured at his portrait and it was like yeah. a Dorian Gray level terrifying <laughs> portrait. Loved it. No notes. <laughs> but this scene is legit four or five minutes into the movie. And I, this is the scene where I was watching it. I was like, Mikey's going to hate this movie. Yeah. Mm. And I did. They make one <laughs> small attempt at addressing the workplace inequalities of the time by trying to get Sarah Paulson to make them coffee when ostensibly <laughs> she is their equal or close to it. I mean, I got the impression that she was like one rung below the ladder. Like all right. those dudes at the table yeah. were like vice presidents and she was an editor, right? Right, like one of the head editors. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then when the book becomes super successful, she ends up on their level, right? Right. But yeah, I, I love this scene too because you sort of expect it to be like, oh, it's 2003 when this movie comes out. So, like, they're going to, like, play on this trope that women were treated like house servants or whatever, even in the workplace. But, no, they just treat her like that, and there's no real joke or commentary made about it. That's it's just that's like... the whole movie, <laughs> is them recognizing things were bad and then not commenting on it at all. Yeah, it's like a wink and a nod, but we're not going to change it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so terrible. In no nuanced way. Yeah. And in no way are they examining how that makes people feel or how that impacts the relationships between people which is ostensibly part of the point of the movie and they're just not doing oh it. i feel like that's a strong reach page to feel like this movie even has a point like I don't, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, I don't think that this is that kind of movie but i mean you're right this is where like i think mad men succeeds and this movie succeeds differently just by being so bad it's watchable no, no. this is where the <laughs> snl mad men sketches succeed oh yeah because they are recognizing it and then playing further into it to demonstrate how absurd it is yeah, or playing the stereotype even further. Cause that's the other thing too, is like they include a lot of everyone in this movie is a stereotype, but no one is playing it further than the stereotype for comedy, but also no one is playing it straight. And the way that stereotypes are most successful is when you have something to play them against. So like, for example, for roast battle, if I'm going to tell a joke about a stereotype, it definitely works if somebody already looks or seems like they kind of fit into it. Yeah. But it works even better when I can demonstrate how crazy that stereotype is versus me not being it. And this movie doesn't understand that relationship of that contrast at all. Right. And so everyone is just a stereotype 100% of the time. So none of them seem to have any nuance or agenda or thoughts in this movie. It's wild. There wasn't a lot of thoughts in this movie. Yeah. So basically what they find out in this boardroom meeting is that they're not going to promote her book because they don't see the merit in it. But this is also where she, for the first time, demonstrates her like three-step process. And step one was like, abstain from men by eating chocolate. And I was like, (laughs) fuck this Kathy cartoon of a movie. It does feel Kathy cartoon-ish. You're right. Yeah. But her argument is basically like, if you just eat chocolate instead of men and put your mind to it, you can like succeed in the workplace and then fuck whoever you want. And I'm like, I feel like you yada, yada, yada bit, a bit between these points, but okay. <laughs> like, sure. But the men of the boardroom don't like that, so they're not going to promote it. 
cut to Ewan McGregor jumping out of a helicopter that he has presumably just used to fornicate with a set of triplets. Yes, all of that takes place on screen, yes. They set him down on the roof. Yeah, that's where that's where helicopters set you down. Yeah. Yeah, presumably the roof of the magazine where where he works. Yeah. Yeah. No magazine. He climbs down the rope ladder of the helicopter. It's almost like a plastic ladder, though. It doesn't look like rope. It looks like plastic. It's rope with aluminum over it. Oh, is it? Okay. You've never climbed up a helicopter, and it shows. No, I have. Have you? I <laughs> wow. I didn't realize that. Like. In your youth, you were an action star. I'm still in my youth. Next scene. <laughs> I love the movies that Mikey doesn't like because in those episodes, he's very taskmasterish. He's like, we got to get through this. <laughs> we got to get through this. We've been talking on this movie for 45 minutes. How is that possible? Let's get through yeah, this. My colony's waiting for me out there. <laughs> it has a better story going on than this. <laughs> Me and my chicken's relationship in rim job world is more important than this. So he walks into his office to meet his boss, David Hyde Pierce, uh, fresh off of Frasier at this point. Oh, yeah. And he's trying to fire him because he doesn't supposedly have a story ready. Follows him into his office where he has a shower in his office. Yeah. You say that like it's weird, Paige. In the 60s, that wasn't weird. That is a thing that is in a lot of 60s movies specifically. Like in How to Succeed in Business Without Really Ever Trying, there's a plot point about a, a shower in his office. Which I also felt was weird every time that happened. And I think it's just because modern day, it's generally not appropriate to do those things just randomly in the workplace. No, I mean, we had, when I worked at uh, like a big call center just out of college, like we had a fitness center that had showers right. in it, yes. but like the offices didn't have showers. Like even the, the director of the call center, he had like a, the biggest office in the place, but it wasn't that big. You know, it didn't have its own bathroom. Yeah. Like uh, we, we don't have showers in my office now, but one of the first offices I worked at when I started with the company I work with now, uh, there was a shower in each bathroom. Yeah. So whichever bathroom you were using, you could use the shower. And it was because there was a fitness center like across the street from us. So, and we had like free passes to it. Yeah. And stuff. So like that was why. But there were also like rules about when to use the shower so that you wouldn't unintentionally flash your coworkers and stuff. It was like very specific about how to use it. So the idea of him just like showering and having a closet and all kinds of stuff just in his office. Yeah. I was just like, my office doesn't have a window. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> and people did wild shit in their offices at the time. Like if I had a nickel for every Mad Men plot point that revolved around remodeling an office, I'd be a rich lady because like, yeah, it happens multiple times on the show. But yeah, I just like he, he got halfway through his monologue wrapped in a towel in his office and yeah. i was like wait a second does he have a fucking shower in his office yeah if you're like half paying attention you sort of think it's his apartment you're like what is happening yes. in this scene why is he naked talking to his boss why is his boss at his house but he is really just at his office yeah why does he have a full wardrobe in his office yeah 
Yeah. But I love this scene because David High Pierce is like, I'm firing you. And he's like, no, you're not. And David High Pierce is like setting up the stakes of why he's firing him. Like, I held the print because you were going to file your story late. And he's like, you didn't get your story in on time. I heard from the Mater D at whatever restaurant you were out partying until whenever. And then he turns it around, Catch does, or Ewan McGregor does. He turns it around where he's like, well, I was doing all of that because I was getting the story. And he was talking about those triplets or whatever that were in the helicopter and how he right. used those to figure out that he pretty much is writing an expose on Operation Paperclip, which I yeah, thought was so is. cool. I loved that. Which, like, at the time was not well known, so it would be an expose. Yes. I did think it was funny. He was like, yeah, those triplets got me my NASA clearance. And I was like, fuck the what? Like, no. Well, because <laughs> but, they seduced <laughs> their way in, you know, like that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But essentially, yes, he he's writing an, an expose on NASA and the moon launch and how Project Paperclip was instrumental in that, which at the time, there. so there's a... Um, a sketch from the Carol Burnett show from around this time about project paperclip where she and a friend go to an Argentinian restaurant that's staffed entirely by Germans. And it's like, <laughs> that's uh, it's awesome. a very funny sketch, but yeah, only that's if great. you're in the know about what was happening. So for a second, I got excited where I was like, oh, hell yeah, we're getting into it. And then they never talk about it again. It's just gone. Yeah, because he probably wrote <laughs> that story and the government was like, we'll give you, we'll pay you money not to do it. He's like, all right, thanks. Yeah, all right, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I do think it's great that it's mentioned in the movie, but then like it's glossed over completely like there's never any more mention of operation paperclip they don't even call it operation paperclip yeah they don't i mean they do mention his whole like nasa clearance thing and they kind of use that well yeah but he uses that at the end to lie to renee zellweger about who he is even though she fully already knows who he is <laughs> also i i have i mean yeah because she already knows who he is we'll yeah. find out at the end i guess that's why because the whole time before we find out that she knew who he was i was like how stupid is this bitch? There's like four <laughs> astronauts on Earth right now. I know. And she's like, I think I'd remember their names. Like, not Buzz Aldrin. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, especially in the 60s. Like, we, in 62, we had not been to the moon yet, but we had shot up right. a shitload of rockets, right? But you're yes, right. Yeah. There weren't a lot of like, astronaut astronauts if he had just said i work at nasa like i'm a mission specialist or whatever that's much more believable no one knows who's like houston were ago no one knows who that guy is but everyone knows who's in these fucking rockets yeah i've been in space for two weeks no you fucking haven't <laughs> what because they're like astronauts of this age are like sort of rock stars in this like oh yeah time. yeah, yeah. They are massive celebrities at the time. And and she's an adult who works, who's right now like working in PR to try and get her book published. So she knows what's in the news. Yeah. But I mean, at the end when it's revealed, this is all part of her like legit right. master plan. You're like, oh, I guess this all yes. sort of makes sense because she's a sociopath. Yeah, because she's a fucking <laughs> stalker. Uh, but yeah, the whole time before we find that out, I was just like, how dumb is she? <laughs> like, does she... What lie better? Lie All you better. had to say was, "I work in this other building." Like, what? You, <laughs> there's no documents, man. You picked the one documented thing to lie about. Yep. Well, people are not good liars. I mean, I can see it. I mean, but this is an exceptionally bad lie. That's like if I was like, "Hey, I'm a Kardashian." Are you easily Googleable? I'm not. I don't have that kind of butt. <laughs> You have a different kind of butt. I have a different kind of butt. And you know what? I do shit with that ass. <laughs> yeah. 
I was going to ask if you podcasted with that ass, but like, listen, that's fine. I asked Mikey if he podcasted with that ass during his AMA yesterday. Asked that yeah. question. <laughs> yeah, it was me. It was that one and the uh, the what about where if you were a zombie stuck in a mall, what store would you wander into? Oh, that was good. Did you like my answer? I did. It was very fun. So I have some good news for us all. I just looked up if How to Succeed in Business Without Really Ever Trying is a romantic comedy, and it oh, is. No. That's not good news for any of us. We have at least a couple more weeks before I have to watch some whatever Todd's bullshit movie he thinks is a romantic comedy or romance. I don't think it is. Wikipedia thinks it is. I was tempted after you chose this to choose some like it hot oh. uh, to go right after this. And I was like, I can't take that much of this. So I think I need to choose <laughs> something else. Yeah, that's fair. Anyway, he's not getting fired. And he and David Hyde Pierce are getting ready to go out in the town uh, and they're getting dressed. And it's a whole two and a half minute conversation on sock garters versus new silk elastic socks, like dress socks. Yes. Which were kind of newer at the time. We, we literally get like a five minute scene of David Hyde Pierce's character learning what socks are. I zoned the fuck out i yeah. was like this is intolerable but this is just one of many of those scenes that's like look it's the 60s and yep. you're just like i i know if i had to torture someone i would have this movie on in their cell 24 7 <laughs> holy shit i love everything about that so they use this to because they've kind of set up that he has a new secretary outside and that he goes through secretaries like toilet paper basically yeah like super fast yeah uh which will come into play later but she taps into the intercom to try and like she's learning how to use it and overhears them talking about the socks but it's implied that they're talking about their penises penises because they're talking about the length of their socks or whatever yeah but it's not close like 18 inches is like a little <laughs> too like, much i was like 18 inches you're hitting lungs at that point like yeah. damn and that's why that lady passes out i mean like this is like the whole joke right yeah, yeah. i would assume that someone laughed at that at some point <laughs> i mean i definitely did last night when i watched it it goes on too long it should be a rule of threes joke and it's a rules of seven joke yeah, th in it, this scene it goes on more than twice as long as it should yes but i do love when david Hyde pierce is like aren't you concerned you're gonna show a shiny shin i don't know why that line stuck with me but the way he delivers it makes me laugh every time but i while he said it i was like was that a concern were people that weird about that oh i bet some people were that weird but i mean I, there are people who were like obsessed with like certain fashion things now but i i also from a seamstress perspective <laughs> if you're showing shins and a substantial enough part of your shin that people could see it while still wearing socks your pants don't fit just in general they're too short i mean there is a certain style where your pants don't come down to your ankle like it comes down like mid-calf like they're almost capris capris well, yeah, but that's not what they're wearing at the time. And that's not what they're wearing in this scene either, Paige. Yeah, they are wearing <laughs> shorter pants than, than some people wear them now in the sure. 60s. They would, But they would also cut them a lot closer to the ankle. So even if it rose, you wouldn't have the gap that would show your shin. So I was very confused. 
I was like, what is this existential fear that he has about shins? Or really everything. David Hyde Pierce's character in this is just an insane person. Coded as gay and no one will talk about it? Oh, yeah, oh, sure. No. Uh, they yeah. talk about it, Paige. It is a plot point in the movie. Except, and this drove me nuts, they talk about it, but then they're like, no, never. And then the implication is either A, he's not, and the movie is just very confused about how they have coded a character for an entire film, <laughs> or... B, that he is her beard for the rest of her life, like at the end of the movie. And that's probably the latter, to be honest with you. I mean, he very clearly in the movie states that he is a straight, straight man, but that could be up for debate. I I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just going to take him at his word in this movie that he saw himself as a straight man who just had a lot of like what I think they call them neuroses in the movie. Right. But yeah, I mean, he definitely is into Sarah Paulson for some reason. And it may be for beardish type reasons. We don't know. Yeah. Anyway, the secretary faints because of the, the six in, 16 inch dicks. And there's two of them. And they come out and as she's passed out, they just say, see, women can't handle the workplace. <laughs> Some things never change. <laughs> Some days you're driving a John Deere tractor through the office and you run over someone's toe. My favorite Another episode. day you, you have a secretary pass out because of two 16 inch dicks. You know, women can't <laughs> handle the workplace. Women be working. Am I right? Women be working. So... We cut to Sarah Paulson and Renee Zellweger who are like, well, if they won't, if our publisher won't promote our book, because they've only got like one book in each bookstore, if they won't promote it, we need to find someone who will. So we'll get No Magazine, which N-K-N-O-W, No Magazine, to write a cover story about it. And that's how we'll promote this book. So they're about to go to lunch with David Hyde Pierce and Ewan McGregor. Yeah. And Ewan McGregor's been kind of like forced to go he's been voluntold to do this story yes because his boss david Hyde pierce is trying to get with the editor of down with love right so they are en route to lunch sarah paulson and uh renee zellweger stop at renee's rented apartment from the publisher which is bonkers it, it is clearly a soundstage built for a musical. Oh, yes. Supposed to just be her apartment. Yeah. And as much as I love the attempt at at 60s furniture and styling, it is completely wrong in, in many portions of this apartment. It is 60s by way of late 90s, 100%. Yeah. But cool staircase, bro. Like, you know, yeah. whatever. So her phone rings and the only people that have that number are the guys at No Magazine. So she picks it up and she kind of plays hard to get of like, oh, well, you know, I, I can't possibly make it to lunch that fast. We'll have to go at a later time. I'll meet you in 15 minutes instead of 10. Um, so we cut to lunch where Ewan McGregor and David Hyde Pierce are waiting and David Hyde Pierce goes to put lifts in his shoes. Yeah. And while he's gone... Ewan McGregor runs into a flight attendant friend. Yes. Played by Rebecca Romaine. Yes. Jerry Ryan from Star Trek uh, Voyager. Oh, no, you're right. It is Jerry Ryan. I'm right. I had a huge Jerry Ryan crush when I was watching Star Trek Voyager back in high school. And Jerry Ryan is gorgeous. Like, I, I mean, you should have. Like, that is an appropriate thing to have. But the other one, because there are three of them, right? One yeah. of them 
is a woman that has been in more Romancing the Pod episode movies than I than think any, any other, other actor ever. And that is uh, Ivana Mila- Milsevich. Milsevich. She's been in a lot of our movies but for about this amount of time. About 25 seconds. Yeah. Poor thing. Constantly constantly plays stereoty- stereotyped slut yeah. is what movies portray her as because a lot of these movies from the 90s when things were not sex positive and people were terrible. Yeah. And so she's the girl that's constantly like, I am vaguely Eastern European uh, and therefore freer sexually, or I am just freer sexually and that somehow makes me kind of a bad person in the story. <laughs> Or I am wearing skimpy clothes and can't understand why people are viewing me as a sexual object. And those are her roles in all of the movies we have. Yeah, that's her range, at least in the movies we've seen her in. I mean, I'm, I'm sure she's a better actress than that, but that's she all we ever see her time. do. Yeah. I think if, if I'm not mistaken, she is now like more recently has done a ton of TV stuff and is actually really good on TV. But I just think it's funny that she has been in more RTP movies than anyone else on the show. Yeah. We honestly should see if she wants to be a guest one episode because she's already been in more episodes than anybody else. <laughs> I'll look into it. Honestly, I like, I don't know if I have a, uh, any kind of connect there but damn if it doesn't crack me up every time she shows up in a movie I know, every <laughs> time i see her i'm like oh there hey, she is girl. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's our unofficial mascot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so while he takes off with gwendolyn the flight attendant yes uh, and he says let's catch a matinee and you assume that they're gonna go have sex in the afternoon and that's what he meant but instead no they do go to a matinee play and then probably proceed to have sex in that theater box. It seems like they do. Assume. I love the phone call montages where Renee Zellweger's at the table with David Hyde Pierce and Sarah and she gets the phone and it's like every time it starts off with Ewan McGregor being like, it's the craziest thing, you know, and the innuendos in these things are so funny to me. But they make no sense. And like a better innuendo would have been one that would have seemed natural in the conversation but had a double meaning and all of these are fucking bonkers they no, are they're all, all just so ham-fisted like it's so funny to me well because it's like i a little british fox and you're just like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> like i'd be on the phone like get your dick out of whoever she is and get to lunch right now this is a work meeting yeah but it's great and he does this with all three of those flight attendant ladies and they're all like different like they all are different like dogs which I thought was horribly offensive and funny and then yeah. there's one where Renee Zellweger was like well I hope the bitch is okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it's, stupid well and, and it's clearly set up so that she can have that line oh yeah and it's but it's just like such a long way to go for a joke that's not even that funny and could have been funnier if it had been written better. <laughs> and so I'm just like, this was 10 minutes of montage that yeah. I'm never getting back. You are not getting it back. Just constantly creeping towards death. So there's a montage they do. They like push from lunch to dinner, then dinner to breakfast, then breakfast to lunch. And eventually Renee Zellweger is like, no. And you know what? You will never get to see me. Like, done. Like, yeah. I wouldn't come near you in a hundred years. That's exactly what she says, too. Yeah, she's like, this is never going to happen. I don't care about the publicity anymore that your article could have done for the book or whatever. I'm out. 
We'll figure it out another right. way. And so they leave. And they thank David Hyde Pierce, Mr. McManus, for his trouble. They do, but then Sarah makes it very clear that their sexual activity is not ever going to happen. I think she says something like, I've never had to break up with a man before anything actually started with a man. Right. <laughs> Which is actually pretty funny. Uh, it, I thought it was very funny. Yeah. Uh, so they call a taxi. We cut to Ewan McGregor and David Hyde Pierce are out at a club and he's like, I'm here to show you that Vicky's not the only girl for you. And it's like a like atomic galactic space themed go-go club. Yeah. It's one of those things where like the scene doesn't really go anywhere. He's just like, open your eyes, like, you know, stay awake with me. And then we cut away from it and we never come back to it yeah it's just kind of weird yeah we do get to visit a bookstore where only one book is on the shelf and so now it seems like okay we've got conflict in the story no we don't it immediately goes away because immediately they're able to get the book on the ed sullivan show which for me i was like (laughs) is there a reason this wasn't our first right they're like well that didn't work let's go on ed sullivan i was like that was an interesting gift if that was an option (laughs) like why wouldn't you just do that originally what seems like a much better way to get Everyone tuned into the book would be the Ed Sullivan show at this time, not an article in a magazine. I mean, I I understand that the magazine no in this world is like a very popular magazine. Okay, except in this scene, they sing a famous song from the book. I didn't understand it. Yeah, well, okay, so she actually sang that song in real life and was on the Ed Sullivan show singing it, right? And that's essentially, I think, why they title this movie what it's titled, why the book is called that. And she goes on the show to promote like they get Judy Garland to go on the show and promote the book by singing this song like the amount of work that would have taken to like make that happen would have taken a long long time and they do it off screen in three hours yeah it's madness every conflict that arises in this movie is instantly resolved the next scene and this one sort of implied that Sarah her editor who's actually her character's name is Vicky in the movie right but like it it implies that she caused something to happen to the guest that was supposed to be on and that made the space for Judy Garland which I thought was funny but they don't show us that and that's even crazier because that means that Judy Garland was on avails and not actually supposed to be on the show while being one of the arguably the most famous people at the time oh yeah like she probably was in town though because she did a lot of theater work like so i mean i whatever this whole movie is crazy like if you're trying to break down like could this really happen no of course it could not not. yeah no my thinking was more that it was just such a strange choice for the movie like regardless of whether or not it could actually happen i was just like why did they choose this and also this is made recently i mean within the last 20 years this movie was made it's it's almost exactly 20 years old mm-hmm. so like yeah. 20 years ago we knew what judy garland's life was like at this point in history and what those performances looked like compared to some of her older ones because in this scene she looks like jinx monsoon playing judy garland <laughs> like it is the saddest era for judy garland i believe we come full circle and renee zellweger portrays judy garland in this era of her life in a movie oh my god you're right she does recently oh my like in the god. last two years yes. yes and and here's the thing i don't like renee zellweger but she did a pretty damn good judy garland and it is this period this very you know like 
addiction problem, uh, mental health struggle era of Judy Garland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But is... Paige, you're referencing of Jinx Monsoon as Judy huh. Garland. Jinx Monsoon, excuse me, the queen of all queens because she won the All-Stars That's drag true, race this most recent year. All-Stars, Ooh, dude, yeah. Jinx Monsoon is amazing. Can sing, is hilarious. Just, I love her so much. And, and has... A pretty damn good Judy Garland, but specifically this period of Judy Garland. This episode is sponsored by Podcorn. Hey everybody, Paige here. We built our podcasts from the ground up and advertising helps us keep the lights on. But we aren't part of a network and we don't have access to big corporate agencies. How do we do it? Easy. We use Podcorn. If you have a podcast, you know that advertising is one of the best ways that you can earn money with your show. But most people don't know where to start. Podcorn is an ad marketplace that helps you connect with podcast sponsorship opportunities without the middleman. You can set your own rates and partner with sponsors to create interviews, topical discussions, or host red ads like this one. The best part is you don't have to join a network or give up any rights to your show to use it. With Podcorn, you have control. So if you're ready to take your show to the next level, click the link in our show notes and sign up with Podcorn today. Tell them we sent you. Anyway, Judy Garland sings the song that is also the title of the book, which by the way, if in this if in this universe her book is the first thing to be titled that way, it means that in that three hours they also wrote a song yeah. for Judy to learn and perform. Yeah. Which is, again madness oh yeah judy garland definitely could have learned a song in three hours there's no way they could have written that song recorded that song like it's a big band music song like there's no way you could do that in three hours there's no way you could do it in three hours uh but also i i definitely believe judy could have but she would not have known that she did does that make sense (laughs) yeah she would be watching the ed sullivan that night being like damn was that me yeah yeah. she'd be watching oh that's such a pretty song and you're just like what (laughs) that's how i feel about podcasting because people are like remember when you made that joke and i'm like no oh yeah that happens all the time like people will tweet at me being like that was so funny when you said this thing and i was like that is funny but i don't know why i said it or what the context was or what episode (laughs) it was in i'm like but yeah like i don't know what you're talking like they'll send me a picture about a joke and i'm like Ha-ha, thank you. Oh, yeah. You have to, like, explain why you're linking me in this because that episode was recorded three years ago and I cannot remember one conversation I had from three years ago. I apologize. Anyway, everyone sees it on TV. They immediately go out and buy the books. We get a pretty racist montage of people buying the books in many different countries. (laughs) It is very racist. I do like how it's the same storefront every time they zoom in on it. I did think that was a different set dressing. I love that. And that very much is like on purpose. Like it's the same camera push every time. Right. And honestly, and if it was just like uh I would say a culturally sensitive like version of the world, I feel like this would have been more fun and less like uh less cringy. Well, they're trying to do it historically for things that were happening at the time. Uh, But with, you know, 2020 vision, you know, looking back, we can see how some of that was problematic. However, uh, despite the cultural insensitivity, the one where the Russian woman brings a loaf of bread home and cuts the loaf of bread open and the book was in it, I was like, see, I was like, somebody in this movie 
does understand some of the things that are happening at this time that you could poke fun at. They're just bad at it. Yeah. But I do love that they heavily imply that this book outsells the Bible because when it comes yes. back from these like montages of people buying the book, like someone's saying something to the effect of not since Gutenberg invented the printing press has any book sold more copies. And you're like, yes. oh, wow. I mean, like that's like the Beatles saying they're bigger than the than Jesus Christ right there. Right. Like that is right. like that level of crazy. Which I mean, like, hey, if Jesus wrote, hey, Jude, maybe life would be different. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got a point. Jesus couldn't carry a tune for shit. Yeah. But he did join wings after he was buried and rose for three days. I mean, I don't know if you've like, if you've ever read the lyrics to live and let die, there's a very strong subtext oh, of Jesus Christ. So I get I it. I love live and let die. That's one of my favorite bond songs. I ever. know. And I even love like the guns and roses version is great, but so is the wings version. Like they're both. It's a great song. Yeah. Anyway, we cut to David Hyde Pierce and Ewan McGregor and they're and Ewan McGregor's pissed. Cause he's like, you let me believe that she was a spinster not this like hot blonde lady he is accusing david hyde pierce of like saying you said she was a spinster and he was like no i said i was a spinster he's like i've never used the word spinster unless i was referring to myself he does also accuse <laughs> him of saying she was brunette which i yes. do <laughs> they they don't really like let that joke breathe enough but the hilarious the hilariousness of brunette being undesirable at the time did crack me up because that is a thing like that is not, not a lot of brunette leading ladies at the time you got like audrey hepburn and natalie wood and that's about it god uh, and audrey hepburn was like one of the biggest of the era like but she's gorgeous like audrey hepburn's gorgeous well yeah but you got like the two of them and then you've got like 16 Marilyn Monroe knockoffs. Oh, so. yeah. And then you have like the Doris Days who were like your blonde bombshells. And they were like much more prevalent in this time in movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of my and I hate to keep bringing it up, but, you know, this movie knows what it did. Uh, so <laughs> one of my favorite lines in Mad Men is that there's an episode where they're trying to classify all the women in the office as a Marilyn or a Jackie, like a Jackie O. Jackie Onassis. Yeah. Yes, and uh, one person suggests that Joan, who's Christina Hendricks' character, is Marilyn, and then someone very sternly says, no, Marilyn is a Joan, and I love that. Oh, I like that, it is, too. It is one of my favorites, yeah. But basically just the implication of, like, no, Joan embodies what Marilyn wishes she could be, <laughs> and you're just like, and she's a secretary. <laughs> like, yeah. Joan is powerful Guys, in her own we've way. We've got to get forward in this. We're more than halfway through the movie. Yeah. Or no, I'm sorry, we're, for, we're 40 minutes into the movie. <laughs> but that feels like three hours. It does. <laughs> so he's mad, and he now wants to try and interview her again, but she won't talk to them. They they won't even address it. And in fact, she's on the TV talking to Dr. Spashemin. Chris Parnell. I love Chris Parnell, man. And she's making a joke about how people are buying more of her books to burn them, which I think is a joke. I don't think that really happens in the story, but I mean, it does happen in the story. She becomes like mega rich off this book. She, she does, but I think this is a joke played for TV. Oh, like I think it's a monologue joke for the TV. Sure, show. sure, 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 sure. But I mean, yeah, I do think it's funny commentary on book burnings because yeah, me too. A lot of religious you had to organizations. Buy it. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember when I was in high school, like people bought like fucking Metallica CDs or like the Alanis Morissette album or whatever yeah. and they would like run over them in their cars like churches would like buy like the street rollers or whatever they would use to smooth pavement and like run over cds and shit and i'm like you just yeah. went out and bought 
those CDs to do this. Like you're paying the artist to like, I don't know, like virtue signal to your congregation. Like it seems weird to me. Yeah. Well, it's like QAnon people always do that, where they're like, we're going to burn our Nikes or whatever. And it's like, bitch, they already got your money. Yeah. The only thing that would be effective is to not buy them again. You idiots. Yeah. Now you just have negative shoes. Yeah. And they still have your money. So in this TV segment, she name checks Catcher Block, Ewan McGregor's character, as a man who changes women as often as he changes their shirts. Yeah. And that makes him angry. And now he's like, now I got to write an expose on her. Well, he also sees her because it's TV. And he's like, oh, she's hot. So I'm going to sleep with her and sort of make her fall in love with me. And then I'll do this big expose about how she's not really down with love. She's like every other woman in the world. Right. Yeah. And at this point, I checked the time because I was like, finally, we must be getting to like finally we have a plot and we're 40 yeah. minutes finally in. finally we have a plot <laughs> and we're 40 minutes in and there's another hour and 10 minutes of the movie and yeah. i was like what the fuck are we doing here like why did this take so long we could have done this in 15 minutes what if we didn't just stop to swirl around and talk about socks every time somebody wanted to like oh the 60s had socks Great. Paige, I will argue that you could start this movie with the Ed Sullivan monologue before Judy Garland sings Down With Love and you have all the information you need for the rest of the movie to make sense, which means you could start it 40 minutes in and it still makes as much sense. Yep, you could. That is absolutely correct. Which, by the way, would only make this movie 70 minutes long. And I think there are still (laughs) other things you could cut out of the movie. Oh, yeah. Because I don't think there's even an hour of actual material of this movie necessary for the story. Yeah, no, it could have been just like a sketch, like an SNL sketch. Yeah. Anyway, so we get a brief cutaway to uh, Catcher Block trying to call some of the girls that he's been sleeping with and none of them want to go out with him so this kind of like propels him even further into this like it's going to be the expose of the century all this stuff we cut to her apartment where vicky is going out with a quarterback who has 2017 mates um and we reveal that renee zellweger's character at least she says Uh, can't get a date from anybody because of the book. We will find out later that she's deliberately staying home because she has a plan of her own, but she's just sitting there eating chocolate because that's her own advice of like replace men with chocolate. And she just has like a bowl of truffles, but they're all still in the wrapper. Like somebody just dumped a box of truffles into a bowl. Which, then how do you know which ones you're picking? I honestly feel like Set Deck was not, like, super concerned about their job on this movie. <laughs> no. But in some in some cases, they're just like, look at this cool lamp. This was in the 60s. So, like, on the one hand, they are. And then the other hand, they're just like, I don't know. Just put them in a fucking bowl. Like, just... <laughs> Yeah. Dump them in a bowl. Yeah. Anyway, so she stays home. But it very much is like she can't find any man to date her because every man and woman on earth has read her book. And they set up like they even set up the fact that everyone on earth knows that she is like not available for love or whatever. So she can't find anybody to like go out with her. Why are there no single guys in Manhattan? I know someone who's single. What are three other things about him? Which is crazy, though, because like her thing is like, I don't want to be held down by love. I want to have just 
casual sex and focus on my career. And Mikey, let me ask you a question. If Renee Zellweger in 2003 came to you and said, I don't want a relationship, but I would like a friends with benefits type situation. How would you have handled that situation? Is it Renee Zellweger, the actress or this character quantum physical lady? I don't remember her name. Nancy Brown Barbara is her real Novak? name. <laughs> but you're right. Barbara Novak is her nom de plume. But either, Mikey, it doesn't matter. Like, you're yeah, the only I'd hook up with Renee se- Zellweger. Yeah, I mean, in 2003, I'm not prepared for that or equipped in any way or safer no, form. No, no, I mean, like, you now. I don't mean, like, oh, I'm not even sure now? you're old enough to consent in 2003. I would hook up with Renee Zellweger now. I don't know what y'all are talking like 2022. Oh, yeah. But I want to say but, casual sex and focusing on your career, it gets you in a career. You know, yep. you know, you do okay. You get older in life just wondering why you haven't had kids yet and like uh yeah. wondering if you've made some mistakes in love along your way and uh mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. should have done things mm-hmm. differently had you realized that uh, they were both going to cheat on you. And uh, maybe <laughs> it's time to find someone that you can settle down with. Yeah, I should be up with love. Yeah, you should go out and find that person. <laughs> what you are getting at is that this movie posits a world where a woman is openly like, I am available and desiring of casual sex. And men are just like, Ugh! casual sex. No. <laughs> No. Mikey in this universe would be like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to us. I think a lot of men would, Mikey. I feel like she'd have a line outside her door. Yes. It would have to beat people off with a stick. I would buy people I knew this book. <laughs> people that were like love people, but that you wanted to turn into casual sex people. You're like, like hey, mom, have oh, you read Wait, not mom. To... Hang on. No, no. Hang on. Hang Whoa, on. Todd. <laughs> Whoa. Really? Really? I know I just said something nice to you off off the podcast. Yeah, we had to cut it. it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah but yeah. you've got to get your shit together. <laughs> no cuts, Mikey. <laughs> but yeah, but if like someone was like, I really like you, I'd be like, you need to read this book first. Yeah, she was like, I think we should just be friends. And you're like, I have a book you got to read. Yeah. I've got some homework for you. It's called Going Down with Love. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that is the key to happiness. (laughs) Honestly, it is. So the next day, he and David Hyde Pierce are going back to the office from, I believe, his apartment. And David Hyde Pierce wants to stop and get his dry cleaning. But instead, he, uh, you and Mary, Ewan McGregor spots Renee Zellweger also about to get her dry cleaning. Yes. So he sends David Hyde Pierce to the office. He picks up the dry cleaning so that they can have a little bit of a meat cute. Yes. But as Kip, not as catch. Zip. Yeah. Zip instead of catch. Oh, zip. That's right. Sorry. Zip. Because names in the 60s are crazy. Yeah. Just like that 130 Rock episode where she's like, oh, I always called him Ed Aldrin because our town already had four buzzes. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking forgot about that. But they go to pick up their dry cleaning. And again, we are almost an hour into the movie and our main characters haven't met yet. Yeah, this they is have the first just time met. they're meeting. Yeah. Yeah. And he pretends to not know who she is, which for her is like, <gasps> finally. And he pretends to be Major Zip Martin, an astronaut who has been in space for the last two weeks. And has now come home. Yeah. When he comes up with this idea and like pays the maitre d' at the restaurant that he and David I. Pierce is, are at. And he's like, tell everyone that I am. Uh, <laughs> tell all the valets yeah. and maitre d's. And I was like, what do you think they have like an underground network? 
And as it turns out, yes, they do, Paige. Because yeah, you see the movie. doorman later in the movie who we've never seen say, good to see you, Major Zip Martin, or whatever he yeah. says. <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess that Mater D did his job. Yeah. So they agree to go on a date, uh, but he's kind of fumbling. He like doesn't want to sleep with her. She wants to sleep with him. And he has a Midwestern accent. Like he changes who he is completely. A Texas accent. Yeah. Yeah. It's specifically Texas. Um, Because he talks about it at one point, but um, we cut to back at the restaurant. Peter's trying to make a move on Vicky, who was out with the football player, who it turns out just wanted to pass her his manuscript. And boy, do I want to read that. Me too. Imagine like Ben (laughs) Roethlisberger writing a movie script or even a book. Like, oh my God. No one wants to read that. I know. Horrible misdeeds have happened. I know. It would be terrible. But if Lynch wants to put out a book, I'm all ears. (laughs) Or even Rob Gronkowski. Yeah. Like, just judging by the level of literacy in the subway commercials, I <laughs> I have questions. I bet that book would sell a ton. I can't believe you guys haven't read his best-selling autobiography, Life with the Grunk. Oh, oh let's get crunk with grunk. Yeah. <laughs> That's his talk show, Mikey. Oh, I'm sorry. I know yeah. Mikey and I, and I think, Todd, you watched some of this, too. Uh, we watched Murderville with Marshawn Lynch and just his exuberance and enjoyment of the story. I'd read his book. I love Murderville. Can we talk about, did we ever talk about that? Everyone go on Netflix and watch that. I, I love this. Specifically the Marshawn Lynch episode is my favorite. Although all of them are good, but Marshawn Lynch's ability to just like roll with everything was not something I expected from a like professional football player. Like he is like improv, like good improv levels of cool. Let's do it. Like <laughs> I love that but about that episode. Almost to to a problematic degree when he like tackles Rob Hubel. <laughs> yes, and, and yeah. Rob Hubel's like I'm an improv comedian. Like my collarbone can't withstand the beast. <laughs> like what are we doing? I do love when he like I'm gonna spoil it when he like says who he thinks did the murder and they're like no and he goes oh damn or whatever. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. Oh, honestly. Ugh. I'd watch Marshawn Lynch just tour with like Ben Schwartz doing improv. Like I would go to that. My my favorite was when uh, they have Aunt Viv in an urn on the desk, and he's like, "Do you know what this is?" And he's like, "A vase." <laughs> <laughs> You're correct, Marshawn. Uh, so Vicky and Peter kind of hook up at this point. Yeah. Um, and they will kind of be together for the rest of the movie. Cut to Zip and Barbara having a montage of dates. And this is one of the worst versions of this type of montage I've ever seen. I love it though. Cause it is terrible. You mean like they're walking down the street and it's like green screen and like yes. all the shows that they're going to are like fanning behind them as they walk yep. down the street. It's so stupid. I love it. I hated this scene the most. I think maybe <laughs> cause it's clearly green screened and badly. Yeah. Well, it's like 2003, like green screen was like, it was around obviously cause it's been around forever, but like it wasn't really good yet. I mean, I'm going to say this. Terminator 2 Judgment Day came out six years before this movie. Yeah. Maybe even longer than that. And like that looked better than this for sure. Like they should have been able. And I think they were doing it badly on purpose to make it look like those musicals. Yes, I think so, too. But I also I like the Doris Day movies are are my least favorite films from this era. They're like I don't have an affection for them like some other people do. 
And so for me, I was just like, oh, this is exhausting. This is exhausting. I, I like some Doris Day movies from this time period. I really love when she went on and formed The Time and did Doris Day and The Time. Doris that Day was my favorite. Um, like that is a I sketch say, I want to see. I want a drag performance <laughs> yes. of Doris Day and The Time. Holy like, shit. Oh, we, oh, we, oh. Yes. Yes, absolutely. But if you're if you're a drag queen looking for a shtick, somebody out there do Doris Day in the time and send us a video of it. <laughs> because I feel like, oh, that could be real fun. It should be a thing. At best, or at worst, it's a great pun. At best, it could be a great stage show. <laughs> so yeah. we cut to Ewan McGregor calls a private detective and he's like, some guy hurt her in the past. I need you to find out who it was. So... Uh, and the private detective says, no one's having me tail their wives anymore because they know they're just sneaking out to get jobs, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, I thought it was funny, too. So we cut to David Hyde Pierce is trying to cook for Sarah Paulson, for Vicky, and Catcher comes over. Now, this is Paige's cookware corner. This is one set deck thing that is actually is actually like shockingly accurate for this movie. Uh, where they have a set of desco wear. It's not Le Creuset. It's specifically desco wear. If you care, you probably don't. I absolutely don't, but I know people will. <laughs> and I love, love that you know this. Yeah. Like, Paige, I'm not going to be happy until you have your own, like, line of whatever oh, these God, things I are. I would love, I would love to have my own line of enameled cast iron. Get at me, Le Creuset. Anyway, this is where they decide over an hour into the film that they're going to add another layer of plot craziness and switch apartments. Yeah. And I'm like, switching apartments is its own plot for its own movie. And we're introducing <laughs> it an hour and <laughs> 10 minutes into this movie. It's just for like two throwaway jokes and we're done. Well, and some very poorly done physical comedy in... Catch his apartment by David High Pierce specifically. Well, and also it it exists just to confuse the plot because then when they're trying to like describe to each other what their plans are, they're like, we're going to go to your apartment. That's actually my apartment. That's pretending to be your apartment. And you're just like, I'm so done. I can't make a fucking chart. I did check out at this point pretty hard. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry that I'm not talking a lot this episode. I don't know a lot about what you two are talking about and I hated the film and didn't pay a lot of good attention to it because Should I it talk was... more about Desco Ware? <laughs> yeah, both of our eyes got pretty glossy when you went on that diatribe. <laughs> yeah. So they decide to switch apartments because he claims that ten minutes in his apartment will make any woman forget about the dinner she was promised. Right. Oh, yeah, because they're gonna wanna leave. That's, oh, that's my <laughs> like, apartment. I'm fucking starving. Uh, <laughs> but he does it so that he as Zip can cook dinner for Barbara. And so he calls her to propose it. And this phone conversation is almost non-existent. It's a lot of them just agreeing with each other, but they do it so that they can use split screen to make it look like they're fucking over the phone. It's so dumb. Yes. Like literally everything they're saying is a double entendre, like everything they're saying. And then she's like blowing him at one point through the split screen. And then he's going down on yeah. her and then they're like having sex. And then they both roll over and they're like laying down next to each other on the split screen. Right. And then, th right. and neither of them were smoking, but then both of them have already lit cigarettes. It's yes. so campy and stupid. I loved it. But here's something that as a, as a video editor, I feel like you will agree with me on this. Yeah. They timed her cigarette smoke wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they it did. It drove me nuts. Yeah. Because his fills the screen 
about two seconds before hers does. Yes. And then and so they have to hold on a like uneven split screen for like yeah, it's really weird. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, we cut to David Hyde Pierce and Sarah Paulson in Catcher's apartment, where she almost gets murdered by a Murphy bed. <laughs> it hits her in the face. She falls back, like onto her back, and yeah. then the bed eats her. Like it hungry, hungry yeah. hippos yeah. over her. It's a Murphy's yeah. Law bed. <laughs> <laughs> but she now has a broken nose, and the bed is on top of her. Or as I call it, the good end of a night. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, no. I do love that when David Hyde Pierce is like trying to figure out how to get her out or whatever, it keeps cutting to the bed that she's under, and you see the smoke coming out from under it because she's still really smoking funny. her cigarette. Shit, this movie's so dumb. I love it. I do love that people seem to manage to continue to smoke cigarettes no matter what happens. Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. Their cigarette will be continually lit, and they won't have to ash it at all times <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. So he doesn't seem to know how the controls work in his own apartment. So she's like, what the fuck is happening? Mm -hmm. Like, also, it's pictures of Catcher's parents and he like cooked for Catcher. It's this whole thing. Yeah. Well, and that's why Sarah thinks he's a closeted gay man, because she, later on, she even brings it up. She's like, you have pictures of Catch and Catch's parents in your apartment. Clearly, you're in love with Catch. You're a closeted right. gay man. And she's like super on board for that. Yeah. Uh, we cut to uh, the other apartment and we're overhearing them talk and it's like guide my hand right there and it's definitely sounds sexual but it turns out to just be a telescope it is very sexual though but they're just like they're looking at the moon really right right i've never used a tool this powerful before <laughs> yeah. you're right it is like a vitamin water oh, <laughs> dragon fruit <laughs> refreshing so uh, we cut to them eating and, and the food's really good. And she does this whole thing like, well, maybe we should go to bed. I'm ready to go to bed. And he's like, oh, I'll call you a taxi. And she's like, oh, that's not what I. And he's like, well, uh, sorry. Like, we, you, this is the first time you've ever been here. Uh, and she's like, OK, well, I think I need to end this. This has gone on long enough. I need to peace out. Well, I mean, clearly she wants to have sex with him and he, yeah. I mean, he does, but he's like playing this long game, right? Of like making right, her right. actually fall in love with him, which is why he turns it down. Oh, this is how you get women to fall in love with you. Yeah, Gosh. you don't put out, Mikey. Interesting. So they kiss and then she runs back in and takes the souffle with her, which at the time I was like, what the fuck is she doing? And then I remembered it's, it's chocolate. a chocolate souffle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dumb, but okay. And then he <laughs> walks out on the balcony and dumps a bucket of ice on himself. Yeah, because he wanted to fuck too. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted to get busy. Yeah. What he should have done is gone to the balcony and masturbated. <laughs> Into the bucket? <laughs> <laughs> I, th I thought for sure it reminded me of Tommy Boy when Zelensky sends uh, Rob Lowe's character a buck uh, champagne with a bucket of ice to ice his nuts. Yeah, uh, and I was like, is he about to dip his dick in this ice bucket? But no, <laughs> it would have been funny if he had just like zip and you just heard like a sh like <laughs> ice sound, you know? So we we cut to his apartment where David Hyde Pierce and Sarah Paulson have somehow started a beatnik party at at his apartment just like there's the explanation for it is so non-existent it's real weird well it's, it was that they were at some club in greenwich village that got shut down by the coffee, cops a coffee house that got shut down sure 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 but then the cops shut it down and they all like came back to catch his apartment because they thought it was david hyde pierce's place right but my favorite is 
so Catch shows up and is immediately like groovy let's do it uh and meets a <laughs> a poet girl basically like a beatnik girl who's already topless yes. by the way and her hair is covering anything that's like you know risque but yeah she is topless yeah but my favorite is that her opener is ask me why i mourn which <laughs> i think is going to be my new opener <laughs> that's just Mikey, i feel like every time you go to like in a bar an opening line with somebody should be that i'd be like excuse me you say ask me why i porn <laughs> let's see how that works out for you <laughs> Ask me why I porn Because you're alone Because <laughs> you play RimWorld 16 hours a day Yeah, Or the porn parody <laughs> RimJob World For 69 hours a day Nice <laughs> Paige just laid back on the bed She is dead Paige just died by her own joke Ooh, Deceased Her own self-owned Yep. Look I'm going to play RimJob World for a while today Because it seems to be a thing that shuts all of this off And I Getting like Getting Macy involved no gross page you're scaring off our audience uh, okay <laughs> with your crassness <laughs> this is a classy podcast page hey this is a classy <laughs> podcast whatever <laughs> fuck you guys you're both aloofs of bread <laughs> that's still my your favorite joke that i've ever made that is that is my favorite joke you've ever made is aloof of bread <laughs> you can edit this out but like i was trying to talk about that guy's stomach i saw open and i was like the chunks oh, of flesh yeah. and i was like this is my chance i could just i could eat some of this <laughs> oh, oh, oh mikey <laughs> oh god mikey that is so oh it's that's disgusting oh my god there was a microwave right there oh no mikey but then it would have been chewy. You really want to do that more in like an oven or a roaster for uh, that kind of preparation. I mean, fat is flavor. Oh, I just looked around that bathroom. I said, Paige would love this. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I called my boss and I said, I think something's wrong with me. And they were like, what do you mean? And you're like, uh, well, I'm currently looking at a part of someone's stomach and wondering if I should collect some for dinner. I, th I think there's something wrong with me. Why? This crime scene looks delicious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So, he's hooking up with Beatnik Girl and Barbara shows up to the same party because Vicky called her. Yeah. And she walks in to put her coat on the bed and just says catch because she's just going to throw the coat and let people fuck on her coat, I guess. Or under her coat. Yeah, it was weird. It's the polite thing to do, okay? <laughs> to leave a party and be like, how is there jizz in my pocket? You're supposed <laughs> to put your coat over a puddle. Oh, oh Mikey. Mikey. This is a classy podcast. <laughs> what am I doing? No what cuts. It's staying in, Mikey. Oh, oh man. Sorry. Anyway, so as she says catch, catcher turns around and goes, yes, and she realizes, she's like zip so then they storm out and he gives her this really weird explanation about being drugged and uh, she buys it because we find out later that she's conning him too so like whatever i mean yeah she already knew who he was the entire time yeah right. but yeah he he blames the beatnik girl for drugging him with tobacco she brought with her from california or whatever this she is says just like when i dated that girl with incense <laughs> 
I don't think you're supposed to smoke incense, Mikey. I didn't smoke it. It was just always like around and like, you know. Somebody sent me free incense uh, with a a lounge dress that I'm currently wearing that I bought the other day. It is very comfortable. Nice. Uh, And it smelled amazing. And I like, I was like, oh, I'm going to keep this. (laughs) So now just hearing you be like, oh, it was everywhere. I was like, well, too bad. (laughs) I just watched my dog throw up outside. <laughs> food or grass or poop or you know, it, I don't know. Okay, but did it stop her? Because I feel like Macy is one of those dogs that's gonna be like, <laughs> and then just keep running. She is. She stops again. She's doing it again. It looks like bile now. She's sniffing it. Oh, can we stop with the Macy throw up play by play? Like that does not sound like something I want to hear. Tell me more about the vomit. <laughs> no, don't, she's she's taking don't. a moment to pause. Looks like she's contemplating what she's doing with her life. Tell me more. Tell me more. Like, did she eat cat poop? <laughs> tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> even just a big scoop. Now she's running <laughs> a circle again. We're okay. We're okay, everyone. Okay. So he gives her this whole explanation. She agrees. And they agree that they're going to hook up the next night and have sex the next night. Yeah. Because he sort of uses the fact that he loves her as a way of getting out of being in trouble for almost having sex with beating a girl. Right. And I can't remember if it's here or later. I thought I wrote it down, so maybe it's later. (laughs) But at one point, he just says, Earth is my favorite place. Yeah, I think that is here. It's so dumb. I love it. It made me laugh really hard. (laughs) Anyway, so we cut to the boardroom uh, at the publishing office where all of the men are unhappy because of her book. I love the, the, the guy who owns... The publishing company is like talking about how this woman will no longer like submit to his advances and like all of these things. And one of them goes, and it's his mistress, not his wife. Yeah, all of one of them goes, yeah, all of our wives are giving us problems. And he goes, who's talking about their wives? I'm talking about my mistress. Yep, <laughs> it's ridiculous. That's Tony Russell or Tony Randall. Um, oh, I and I just realized he was the second male lead in Pillow Talk, Page. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah, That's probably why he's in this. So they fire Vicky. She comes home and she and Barbara are sitting in the apartment and she's like, I kind of just want to be married to Peter. Yeah, because at least then I can tell one man what to do. Right. And Barbara's like, I'm not a down with love girl either. I'm in love like with this astronaut. Sure. Yeah. Uh, So meanwhile, the men, knowing that there's going to be dates that night and he's going to try and sleep with Barbara that night. David Hyde Pierce is like, then I got to try to sleep with Vicky tonight. And so they are now planning two dates. But this setup is like insane because Catch or Ewan McGregor's character is like, I have to like record her saying that she loves me and all of this stuff to ruin her. And then David Hyde Pierce is like, oh, you're going to do that tonight? So I have to have sex with Vicky tonight because you're about to ruin her friend and that will then ruin our relationship. So I have to do also this equally terrible thing to get the physical need that I have met. Like, it's so crazy to me that like this is the premise of the movie, but it is. We... We cut to a getting ready montage that includes quite possibly the only bathroom bigger than the bathroom in 365. (laughs) Uh, But what was really troubling for me about it is that she gets out of the tub and puts on heels and walks in heels on wet tile. Yes. And I'm like, homegirl's going to break her fucking neck. You can see the soap and stuff like just sudsing down her legs. Like, so, you know, like she would be sliding all over that tile fucking floor. She she would at least break an ankle. Yeah, how did Barbara Novak die? Oh, she slipped and fell because she was wearing heels in a fucking bathtub like a maniac. (laughs) Anyway, 
so he picks her up at the apartment and takes a detour to his apartment that he's pretending is somebody else's apartment. Right. And there's champagne inside. And so we cut to Vicky and Pete, Peter, and they're having dinner. And she's like, you're a homosexual. And he's like, what? What? And then she's like, well, the only other explanation was. And then she lists the plot. Which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah. She literally says. Unless, unless you're switching an apartment with the main character. No, to, she even yeah, says yeah. the lead. And David Hyde Pierce is like, I did. I did switch keys with the lead. Like, it's so <laughs> dumb. <laughs> because they're talking about it like a like a screenwriter would be arguing about it with his co-screenwriter. Who he has locked in a basement chained up. So her thoughts about like how women should be treated in the movie don't make it through to the actual script. Right, 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 right. So... Um, she he's like I did do it and she's like oh no now I've got to tell Barbara I've got to warn her so we cut to Barbara and Zip where he like flips the bed switch and like flips the recording but he accidentally sounds British for a second yeah and she's like almost catches him on it she almost catches him with it and they start making out and because he's recording he's like I love you because you are Barbara Novak, author of Down With Love. I do love how when he hits that button, it reveals like the like reel-to-reel tape recorder. It's so yes. dumb. And it's like right next to the bed. Like there's no way she wouldn't have seen it. Right. Uh, and as they're, they're kind of making their moves towards the sexy times, they're making out, uh, Gwendolyn takes his spare key and shows up and ruins the illusion like oh it's catcher block what's up yeah and then leaves but then comes back and is like wait are you barbara novak thank you you inspired me it's this whole thing like yeah but this is also the scene where barbara novak reveals that she is not barbara novak yes after gwendolyn leaves yeah she reveals her plot which is essentially that she was one of his secretaries that didn't work out yeah and he asked her out but they never ended up actually going on a date Uh, And she was obsessed with him. So she concocted this entire plan to become a New York Times bestseller, which is insane that that's part of her plan, that she's like, that's not the end goal. That's one stepping stone in my plan. Become a bestseller, become famous, call you out on TV, then trick you into trying to trick me into falling in love, even though I, and it's like a five minute monologue of how she has somehow engineered this. Literally down to them switching keys, Paige. Like it is. Yes. So insane. Like, I love it so much. Like, I laughed multiple times in this monologue because it's A, so fucking long, but like so detailed about how she just nailed it. It's so funny to me. I have in my notes in all caps, is she a Bond villain? Yes. Because that's what's happening in the scene. But also there's 30 minutes left of the movie as this is happening. I know. And this should be sort of like the last scene. Yeah. Yeah. It should be because I wanted it to be. Of course, Mikey would agree with that. And nothing made sense. And I didn't care to listen to their long monologues. And I was like, well, that's why nothing made sense, Mikey. Well, no, it also doesn't make sense. Like, what she is proposing is impossible. (laughs) True. But then also, he's like, oh, my God, I love you because you're conniving and evil. Just Uh, like me. And I was just like, just like me. And all I could think was like, run, run away. Like, what are you doing? All of you should run. Like, go to therapy if it exists. Everyone. Well, it does, but it's not great. Uh, I think one of the best examples of. Uh, of it is when we did the omen which was 1970s 
and he's just like, "Sir, your wife's a crackpot." <laughs> 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 I remember that. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> I prescribe her a straight jacket and some cocaine. Stat. <laughs> Let me make sure I understand the plot. The Great. basics of it so she reveals that she planned the whole thing and that she's actually his ex-secretary but but at the end it's revealed that she's actually not the ex-secretary she's really barva novak no no she is the ex-secretary she's both honestly yeah she's both she's chosen to adopt the persona that she created of barbara novak as her true self yeah barbara novak is a nom de plume for nancy brown and she is just now like that is like her stage name at the end of the movie when she starts now magazine. Her name is is Nancy Brown, but everyone knows her as Barbara Novak because that's her right. very, very popular nom de plume. Gotcha. It's it's why my name is Paige Wesley, although legally. Yeah, it's it something else. Things. Yeah, 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 yeah. So she goes on to start her own magazine. He has this existential crisis of like writing an expose about himself because she won't answer his calls and he figures out that the only way that he can force her to talk to him which is also not a thing it's so funny though i love it is that he has to interview for a job at her magazine to be her secretary to be her secretary yeah and they have to let him interview because of labor laws well not labor laws but the perception of being an equal opportunity employer which they do talk about like He says that I knew you'd have to let me interview because you want to be seen as like a fair employer. Which also, yes, but there's no way she'd be the one interviewing. It'd probably be Vicky, like, you know, or whatever. No, it would be the person they hired to do HR stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But it also, all I could think about was the the arc in Mad Men where they have to be an equal opportunity employer and it's an amazing episode about how purely saying equal is not equal and like... The, the differences that people still end up facing. And this movie's just like, I guess man has to be interview. <laughs> just hate it. Yeah, the problem is you're like comparing this I know. to like a great TV series. A, a really well-written <laughs> TV series. <laughs> this is a terrible movie that's just fun to watch because it's so bad. I did not have fun watching oh, this fun. for sure. I would watch this again today. Oh man, then I curse you to do so. <laughs> but I'll be honest with you, Natalie also did not like this movie. And yeah, she normally loves campy stuff, but like she did not like it either. So like I get that I am wrong. But I'm sorry. I think it's great because it's terrible. (laughs) Oh, man. Anyway. Anyway, through this interview, she kind of gets to read part of the expose that he wrote. And it's this whole like, I love you. We're going to write this thing where it's like we were both wrong. And now we have like a new book. And so they like go into the or he leaves because she says no. He leaves and counts and she doesn't follow. I love that throwback to the counting. I love that. Yeah. It's so cute. And you see like the disappointment in his face, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then miraculously, she's in the elevator, which... I mean, no, no. I mean, the only way that that was possible is that she has an elevator in her office but that she was is on the super same fast. Yeah. No, it would have to be super fast. And she went down to the ground level, ran across the building, got in that elevator, and it's just and like the, waiting there. And it came up. Yeah, I yeah. fucking loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and reveals that now she's a redhead, not a blonde. Scooped you again. Scooped you again. And that's when I realized that this movie was just one woman figuring out that life is better as a redhead. With a successful business. uh, That's right, Mikey. A super rich, successful, married redhead. Yes, life would be better. I mean, honestly, I wish I was that. Who went to great lengths. 
to to get their partner. Oh, right. right. Like sociopathic lengths. Wow. If you're just having the sociopathy without the success, it's not worth it. Yeah, no, I would agree. <laughs> they go up to the roof where she, because she scooped him again, or no, he scooped her. No, I guess. She, she scooped. Okay, so there's a it lot of scooping matter. going on. Let's just get on. to the roof and get to the helicopter. There's a lot of scooping going on, but she scoops him in the elevator with the red hair, right? And right. then, he, but then scoops he scooped her, her with yeah. the helicopter. Yeah, because yeah, okay. he did know that she was going to show up. Yeah, which I don't know. Uh. After a while, you're like, none of you fucking know anything. I don't give a shit. Like, anyway, so the, the helicopter's for them to get married in Vegas. But instead of climbing into the helicopter, they just ride off on the rope ladder. Yes. Through the city. Yeah, very dangerously. That helicopter can't make it to Vegas. Like, <laughs> they're going to have to stop along the way a bunch of times. I think they're going to the air. They've got to be <laughs> go flying to the airport. But also, they would have fallen yeah. off and died. Oh, yeah, yeah. right. Absolutely. Which is how I canonically into that movie. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. And no, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. There's two. There's the two extra scenes. Oh, that's right. Because during credits. the credits, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So during the credits, we get a scene of Vicky and Peter where they've decided to get married. I love that phone call because they're just like saying the same thing. Like, I didn't want you to have to give up your career. Deal. I guess we're getting married yeah. now. It's so crazy. It's crazy. Uh, and then we get uh, a video of Chris Parnell who yeah. says the battle of the sexes is over, which I'm like, no, it's not. Pay me equal wages. It still continues to this day. It continues to this day. Yeah. Uh, and is also an intersectional issue, sir. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so. But Chris Parnell is not like a nuanced character in this movie. So, yeah. <laughs> no. No, I have more experience putting babies into women. But let's see how this goes. <laughs> so thus ensues a real, real horrible music video where they insist on singing. Yeah. And it's it goes on way too long. And, and that's, that's the, the movie. movie. So having seen the movie, having talked about the movie, how do you guys feel about Down with Love? It's a form of self-harm. <laughs> Wow, that is a stance for sure. Paige, how do you feel about it? I'm just here to say that the Emmy nominated and Emmy decorated Mad Men is a tour de force. Uh, all the performances are fantastic. Every the writing is superb. Uh, and it is a fascinating look into a period of history in which a lot of different socioeconomic changes were happening uh, and watch that instead of this. But Paige, I do agree with you. I'm very glad this movie existed to inspire the creators of Mad Men to make that. Because clearly <laughs> they saw this and were like, oh, we can do this much better. Like the bar now for 60s anything is so low, we could trip over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I think one of the reasons I love this movie is because it's like the same reason I love the um, heist episode of Rick and Morty. Like it is so contrived and so bad. It feels like the heist episode of Rick and Morty is Awesome. I know first it is, off. and it's making fun Do of movies not like this. Compare this. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm that. saying that like they're making fun of this type of like contrived movie in that heist episode of Rick and Morty because everything is a double cross or a scoop or whatever. It's like, and I love that about this movie. Although I think that this movie is doing it unironically, whereas like in Rick and Morty, it is they're very much like wink and nod, making fun of movies like this. But I just found this movie like fucking terribly funny because it's it's so terrible it's funny 
But Paige, do you have some fun facts for us? I do. Well, hit us with your fun facts. Stupid fun, fun facts. facts. So uh, the extra musical scene at the end uh, was filmed because Ewan McGregor and Renee Zellweger insisted. They did? Yes. Wow. They had both come off musicals just the year before. Uh, Ewan McGregor, obviously, in Moulin Rouge. Yeah. And Renee Zellweger in Chicago. Wow. Yeah. So that influenced why they did it. Okay. Um, so there are a lot of specific scenes that are references directly to Pillow Talk. However, they are toned way up sexually in this movie. Oh, and yeah. Really, like the telephone interchange with the split screen is in Pillow Talk, but it's done so that they're like laying on different sides of the bed talking to each other because that's literally how... That that's as far as you could have gone at the time. Oh yeah. Um, and so a lot of that's kind of playing off of it in this one. Um, the movie is also digitally color timed to simulate the appearance of Technicolor. Oh, uh, I love it. Specifically, three strip Technicolor. I mean, it does look very sixties ish. Like the look of everything is yeah. very sixties. It is, although it to me it looks nineties in a weird way. That that to me is the look that this has because it's not quite accurate. But I think part of that is because it's so stylized. And a huge part of that is that everything the characters wore from head to feet was custom made in this movie. That's where a lot of the budget went. And if you look at films that have covered this time period, films and TV shows that have covered this time period since, they chose specifically not to do that. Or when they do do that, they model it after actual outfits from the time specifically, which this movie does in some in some places. But there are also parts where they take some liberties with it and it does kind of take you out of it. Um, like Mad Men in particular used a lot of vintage pieces or would find vintage pieces and then remake them yeah. to then look the same and I think it gives especially when they are wearing true vintage pieces it gives it a kind of duller look that does look more realistic but this movie is heightened and cartoony and that's probably why they did not care um, yeah there's uh during the dating montage uh the one where they're like seeing all the the plays and stuff there's a shot of a guy playing bongo drums and this is actually taken from pillow talk directly oh is it it's from the scene where uh, Doris Day and Rock Hudson first meet. So uh, Renee Zellweger's monologue at the end lasts three minutes and two seconds in a single unbroken shot. Yeah, and she crushes it too. Like she does a good job delivering it. She got it in six takes. God, that's fucking damn good king for her. Shit right there. That is that's amazing. amazing. God, I have so that's much respect for her. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Because it is like imagine memorizing three and a half minutes of dialogue and then having to also like put emotional weight behind it. You're not just reciting it. Like you're acting it. Fuck. That's, that's very impressive. I used to do that competitively in high school. Oh, fuck. Uh, when I was in high school, there was an option for competitive monologues, which Ugh. is like the only thing more nerdy than band. Um, and usually you would tie, you were judged in like time increments. So like three minutes was pretty common, but it was tough to do. Yeah. Like it, it's not easy to remember all of it, you know, or whatever it wants. But it felt like she was delivering the John Galt speech from Ayn Rand's uh, Atlas Shrugged. Yes. Uh, Sarah Paulson and David Hyde Pierce, 
there's the undercurrent of him being closeted in this movie, but he turns out not to be. However, a few years later, both of them would come out as gay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I sort of feel like, and in, even in the movie, she's like, listen, I don't care if you're gay. Like, it's fine. We can still get married. Like, I thought that was right. a very funny subplot in the movie. So the animator for most of the original Mad Magazine covers actually did the fake one for the movie. Oh, cool. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then do you want to finish this out by uh, talking about Project Paperclip? Uh, I mean, I can... For people who don't know? Yeah, I mean, so Operation Paperclip was... Um... No, no, no. I mean, like, I have the fun facts. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought, thought you, you were asking, asking us. Too. I was like, I didn't study, no, no, no. but I could I do it. I was like, yeah, I definitely know about Operation Paperclip, so let's do it. All right, so there are multiple references to Operation Paperclip in this movie, uh, and that refers to in post-World War II U.S., there was a government project that transferred Nazi scientists who developed the V-2 rockets that bombed London because they had had essentially jet-propelled rockets faster than almost anyone else. And we yeah. did have Jack Parsons in the U.S. who had jet-propelled airplanes. Yeah. We just hadn't quite figured out how to do it with rockets yet. And so we essentially collected all of the Nazi scientists that worked on the bombs that bombed London and offered them amnesty in exchange for working on our rocket and space program in America, specifically in Huntsville, Alabama. Yeah. Uh, one of the most famous of these scientists is Werner von Braun. Um, and he was the technical director of a Nazi rocket factory that was staffed entirely by slave labor from the concentration camp nearby. Uh, but Werner von Braun becomes essential in the creation of the Redstone missile, uh, which is the basically basis for our missile program even up to today and the Saturn V rocket and the Apollo program. He is very, very not singularly responsible, but incredibly responsible for getting us to the moon. A hundred percent. And it's because we, we stole him for his Nazi shit and offered him, we basically, you know, offered him freedom because we wanted rockets. And, and those are your fun facts. facts. Oh. Yes. <laughs> and those are your fun facts. Yeah. Mm. So do you guys want to talk some box office? Sure. So we already talked about the budget, right? The budget, of course, $35 million. But let's talk yeah. about how much it made in theaters. So this movie came out on May 9th, 2003. And it was 53 in the box office the week it came out. <laughs> It was yep because this did not do well. No, 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 it did not. Uh, it was beat by the number one movie that weekend was X Two X Men United, and number two was Daddy Daycare. Number three was the Lizzie or McGuire movie. Number four was Identity, and number five was Anger Management. And then there was forty nine other movies, and then there was Down with Love or whatever it was. It was fifty three that weekend. Uh, it was only in one theater the weekend it came out. Do you guys want to guess how much money it made in that weekend? I think this bond, I'm going to say $7 million. Well, it was only in one theater, Mikey. Okay, oh. yeah. I'm going to say two hundred and fifty grand. Okay, Mikey, what do you think? $2,000. <laughs> uh, it only made $45,000 in its opening weekend in one theater. That's actually a really, really high per theater average, but obviously not very good. The next weekend is what I will consider it's really like, I would say nationwide opening weekend. And that was May 16th, 2003, because it went from 53rd and only being in one theater to it being fourth and in 2,123 theaters. And Mikey, it made 
made $7 million that weekend. So your mm. guess for its opening weekend was mm. more or less spot on. And that weekend, it was beat by The Matrix Reloaded, Daddy Daycare, X2, Down With Love Is 4, and then Lindsay, the Lindsay McGuire movie was number five. But it was in the theaters for another, well, let's just say a total of 12 weeks. So what do you think it made in its domestic box office run in 2003? I'm going to say $20 million. Okay. I'm going to say 17. Page is almost exactly right. It was $20.3 million. Uh, and then it made an extra $15.1 million internationally for a total of $35.4 million. Uh, which means if you're looking just at budget, it looks like it made $400,000, but they probably spent a few million at least advertising the movie and promoting the movie. So this movie definitely did not make money. Uh, although if you adjust for inflation, it's a total of $57 million that it made in the box office. But it was not a hit on any level. It did, <laughs> it did very poorly. Oh, do you think that's why it didn't get a sequel? Oh, uh, Down With Love 2? I would watch that. Um, okay, but that's your box office. So, Mikey, do you want to hit him with that romance scale? Yeah, it's a scale of 1 to 10 of how romantic we found this film today. I will like to start today by saying 1. Yeah, it's a 1 for me, too. We have a precedent of allowing negative numbers, correct? Oh, I don't think so. I thought we only do Okay, positive. fine, it's 1. Yeah, 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 it's a 1. <laughs> I, I mean, everyone in this movie is terrible. <laughs> I mean, I truly <laughs> do believe... Both our main characters are sociopaths. Yeah, okay. Like, the, the only way that... Okay, so do you think they're still together? No. Oh, God, no. They died on that helicopter trip. <laughs> no, I mean, yes. Here's what I think happens. They, because this is what happens to a lot of motivational speakers who do this. They wrote that book about how great they are together, and then they break up, and then they each write their respective divorce books and go on book tours. Yes. You know what? That, I guarantee you that's what happened. That... Or murder book like the notebook yeah that or they notebook each other <laughs> and i don't mean like grow old together i mean like one of them kills the other and then takes their own life well that's our romance scale yep and if they're back together <laughs> so this week i made you guys watch down with love and you're welcome Paige. what are you making us watch next week Hey everyone, Future Todd again. I'm breaking in here to let you know that when we recorded the episode, we thought we were going to have a special guest for next week, but that special guest got busy, so we had to call an audible, and Paige did text me what movie she wanted to do for next week, because it is her pick, and when she told me what movie it was, I thought it would be funny if I told you guys what movie it was, because it is... The like 1990s, maybe early 2000s Mel Gibson romantic comedy, What Women Want. And I thought it would be funny if a man came on and explained to everybody what Paige wanted to do next week. Anyway, sort of a meta joke, but I thought it was funny. But your homework for next week is to, I think, if I remember correctly, get struck by lightning and then watch or revisit possibly What Women Want for next week's episode. And I'm now going to turn it back over to Todd from the past. So, Mikey, do you have a review for us to read? That no. sounds like a no from you. So, Mikey, <laughs> while you're looking one up, let me tell them how they can have their review run on the podcast and let us to leave us a five-star text review. And we'll have Mikey read it for you. So, Mikey, whose review are you going to read this week? That's super easy. I'm going to review. Wait, you're going to review? Wait, are you going to review the reviews now? So, you're like going to read a review and then you're going to leave a five-star review about that I'm review. Gonna, I'm going to give this five-star review one star. Right, right, right. right. I'm going to read Irish Guacamole's review. Well, what does Irish? guacamole have to say 
Isn't that just cabbage? <laughs> I think you mean coleslaw. <laughs> they the title of their review is for romance slash rom com haters and dot 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 dot. That's dot, way dot, more dot, dots than I think dot. they actually have, but okay. It's an ellipses. Okay. Please read this like you're in a musical. <laughs> How appropriate for this episode. Uh, I love okay. it. I love it so much. God, how do you be delusional and dumb? Okay, get there. Get there. Get there, Mikey. Get there. This is one of my favorite. <coughs> oh, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I got to clear my throat. It, up got, it got real phlegmy there at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I got to clear my throat of the cynicism and reality. This is one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to and regularly look forward Thursdays because of Romancing the Pod. I don't know if I said that right. We're going to move on. You definitely do not <laughs> need to have watched the movie. They recap or even like the movie or even like the movie they recap in order to enjoy this delightful and comical podcast. Mikey, Todd, and Paige are wonderful in the strike and strike the perfect balance of thoughtful analyses and ridiculous side tangents that will continuously engage you and fend off any sort of boredom. If you like this, I would also highly recommend listening to Horror Version, this trio's other podcast, or listening to Cult Plat... Cult Podcast. <laughs> Cult Podcast. <laughs> Cult Podcast. Our Black Card Rehab, the other podcast that one of the hosts, Paige Wesley, is on. You guys are amazing, and keep up the amazing work. Five stars. Well, Irish, possibly cabbage, guacamole, thank you so much for that awesome five-star review. And if you want to have Mikey read your five-star review, leave us a five-star review. So, um, yeah, guys, if you like this power thruple that we have here on this podcast, make sure to check out our other podcast, The Horror Virgin. And that is the only other podcast that Mikey and I are on, but Paige... Gets around and she is on two other podcasts, Black Card Rehab and Cult Podcast. So, guys, definitely check out those because they're amazing. If you want to follow us on social, we are at Romancing the Pod Show. Yes. On yes. Instagram. And we are at something else on Twitter who I just have never taken the time to learn. It's, it. it's just Romancing Pod Show because they have a character oh. limit and it's show oh. SHO like Showtime. So, guys, check that out as well. And if you want to follow us all individually, Paige is at Rampage Wesley everywhere, including TikTok, except for Twitter, where she is at Paige Wesley. Mikey is at M Randolph 24, and I am at Todd J Awesome everywhere. And, guys, we got a P.O. box. So, if you want to send us some love letters or whatever you might send to a P.O. box, it's actually not a P.O. box, it's like a regular street address. It's pretty awesome. It's 6688 Nolensville Road, number 108-34, Brentwood, Tennessee, 37027. So send us some stuff. Yeah. That's going to be it for us, you guys. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm Todd. And you will complete us to a completion. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to go down on love? (laughs) Ladies. Ladies. No, I've got a really strong gag reflex. Gag reflex nerd.